Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. Also chatting with Christina Sikiotis about uh, what's happening in new innovations and what's out there. But right now, we're going to pop over to the Hunter Recruitment Group and have a chat with Craig McGregor. Good afternoon, Craig. G'day, Julian. How are you going today? Thank you. Very. Uh, it's a while since we've spoken, isn't it? Um, not too long ago, but not too, long enough. Just before Christmas. <laughs> Very good. So we're going to talk about a, an interesting subject, and that is exit interviews as people are leaving. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that um, I don't know, was probably in vogue, um, you know, 80s, early 90s, and slowly probably exited, to use a word, um, most businesses' um, processes. And I think um, it's one of those... Um, programs or processes that is, is quite valuable if done correctly. Yeah, so, uh, well, first of all, you know, what, how would one go about an exit interview? Yeah, so I suppose if, you know, when, when someone uh, exits your, your organisation, gives you some notice period, is, is about to leave, then as part of the process that you would go through in terms of their, you know, working through their notice period, you would schedule um, an exit interview, a formal meeting um, with that staff member. Look, and I, and I always prefer to run them in that last one or two days mm-hmm. of their, their business, of uh, their, their time with you, because... You know, if, if, if let's say someone's giving you a month's notice, they've been with you for quite some time, and you do the exit interview you know, early on, they may not be as open, thinking, "Oh, I've got three more weeks. If I really say anything now, the ramifications of saying that, well, how will that work?" But in their last day or two, they might be really open to, to to give you some, you know, really useful information. You know, like any any meeting with someone that's leaving, sometimes you need to take that information with a grain of salt. But you know, and there might be some negativity there, but also, there could be some real positives that you can take out of, you know, something small that, that has really bugged this individual or a process or a, a value or some part of your culture that has really led to them leaving your organisation, you know, something that may be able to be changed that may make other people stay or um, reduce your turnover numbers. You know, that information is quite critical. I would imagine it would take quite some good skills to be able to do it because often people won't want to open up. So, uh, you know... You're trying to explore certain information or get valuable information. Yeah, correct. And look, you know, we've we've mentioned this before on 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 this session that you know one of my favourite sayings in recruitment is that uh, people leave managers, they don't leave companies. Mm. So if that's the case, which you know nine times out of ten, eight times out of ten, it possibly could be that there's been a personality clash. Well, you probably don't want the manager doing that exit interview because you're not going to really get the valuable information that you're looking for. So if you've got access to a HR manager or an external party, getting someone independent to come in and have a chat to that person, you might get better, more useful information. So I presume, again, it requires sort of planning. You know, everything needs to... Don't just sort of bring the person in and start talking. You you have in mind the Correct. sorts of things you want to get out of it. Yeah, like a job interview, you'd probably have some uh, questions that you want to approach and they'd be individualised around that person's role or, or the, the, the part of the business that they worked in. But look, the biggest, um, whenever I'm coaching people around this, this area, the biggest thing that I say to them is it's time to listen. Mm. This is a chance for you to really sit back and just take in what this person's saying, let them lead the conversation to a degree and really let them drive 
what were the issues that have led them to make a decision. And look, that's the, just the psychology of that, that you know, if someone's been headhunted versus someone who's applied for a job, you know, what was it that made you, Julian, go, you know what, I, I really need to look on, online at Seek or a job board or somewhere and, and I've found a job and I'm going to press that button. There's a psychology there of why you've done that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the sort of stuff that you, know, you really need to, to explore. Now, you said do it a couple of days before the person leaves. It's common practice in a lot of organisations when a person hands in their notice for them to go straight away. Yeah, correct, if that's the case. So, you know, like most sales roles, you probably want your salesperson to exit the business so that they're not, you know, taking um, information, customer lists, whatever. So you'd probably want to do that exit interview as part of their their, um, walking out the door, say, okay, well, we want you to exit the business, go and clean your desk um, for the last 10 minutes of your your time here, come and talk to HR, they'll go through the exit interview process and and then you're off-site. Now, with your other hat on as uh, President of the Maitland Chamber of Commerce, uh, meeting next Thursday. We do our first meeting for the year. Um, And look, traditionally, over the last few years, we've had... Um, the general manager of the council, uh, David Evans, um, as our first speaker for February. And it's really become one of our most popular meetings for the year. It's usually um, packed room. Uh, most people want to hear about you know, the council direction, what's the plans for the council over the next um, 12 months, particularly given the, the things that have happened. So we've had you know, mm-hmm. levy phase one and its completion and what's going to happen with levy phase two and what else is happening in the, in the Maitland marketplace that's going to affect our business. So, yeah, we're really looking forward to... Um, yeah, next Thursday the 18th, 7 o'clock for breakfast with David to, to get a bit of a state of state of our little part of the hunter. And of course the uh, possible council mergers happening as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> for us in, us in Maitland, that, that one's gone gone through in terms of the, the, the Maitland Council's been um, reassigned as fit for purpose so there'll okay. be no merger for us. So um, that one's a little... That one's been taken off the table for us here in, in Maitland as opposed to other parts of the Hunter. So so what else is, what, what's happening the week, the month after? You've got... Yeah, I'm really excited. We've got um, the guys from um, Stockland Greenhills are yep. coming to give us a, a really, um, you know, I suppose a start update of what's going to happen with the, the Greenhills site there, the major retail complex in our LGA and, you know, it, it, it's going to basically double in size and it's quite exciting for, for residents but also for, for business and what sort of opportunities are going to come from that from not only just the construction phase but the you know, completion phase and you know, how, that, how that plan is going ahead and what it means for local business. Um, the CEO of Stockland Green Hills, Chris Travers, will be coming along to talk to us about it on the 17th of March, which is great. And so all of those information about those breakfasts is on your website, I presume. Yeah, maitlandbusiness.com.au. Yeah, Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your time, Craig. We'll have a chat with you again another time. Cheers. Have a great day, Julian. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Christina Sikiotis for our Minute on Innovation. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I forgot who you were for a minute there. <laughs> That's <laughs> don't okay. Know, don't know why. I think my, no, I think my children hope that I forget sometimes <laughs> who I am as well, but anyway... So uh, we're going to look at uh, some new innovations that are around about at the moment. Yeah, and they like you know we last at the end of last year we spoke about a couple of way out there ones like the nano robots being injected into the neocortex. Um, here's another another few um, along that line. So there's what they're calling a modular exoskeleton shape shifting um, uh, robotic almost um, contraption that they're hoping will make wheelchairs obsolete. And it only weighs 27 pounds, which is quite important when you're thinking about um, Mm. people walking in these these types of machines. Um, It's actually called the Phoenix Exoskeleton, and it can be 
moulded and adapted to suit a, a wide range of people with disabilities. But the reason that they're, they're um, saying that it's so good is because it's actually come down in cost from... So a lot of the other exoskeleton models uh, cost around $70,000, $100,000. And even though this one is still at $40,000... It's half the price of some of the others, and there's companies that are working on bringing that cost factor down. So the the implications for you know the elderly people with huge disability and mobility issues um, are, are just incredible, and the amount of freedom that it will allow um, mm. once this machine becomes you know demonetised, so that it becomes very affordable for people mm. to buy. Another um, another I'm not sure how I feel about this one. They've had a robot golfer sink a hole in one. So what happened um, around that is the golf laboratory's robot um, was designed to test golf clubs. It could be programmed to mimic, like you, I don't know if you play golf, I can't stand it mm-hmm. personally, it's too slow for me, but those people that play golf, it can be programmed to mimic a player's swing and therefore you you know, you know, can learn a lot from, um, from watching the robot with your swing and you know what to, to improve and everything. But they've actually had a game um, where the robot sinks a hole in one. And what they're saying is that, you know, instead of going and watching humans play golf, eventually we'll be going and watching robots play golf. And I'm not sure that that's <laughs> going to be as entertaining, but, I don't, you know, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that one to the audience to, to think about. When you, um, when you see some of these programs on TV, I mean, it's not going to be a long way away before we have robots doing all sorts of things, I don't think. Oh, no, absolutely not. And, you know, the... The science um, fiction comes up with it, and then years later we develop it. So there's, there's multiple, multiple examples of where that's happened. Um, something that I think is really um, important is a, a collar for athletes, and they're claiming that it stops, you know, that sloshing effect of the brain. So if you get hit um, and the brain bounces inside inside the skull, what they what happened? It was quite interesting. They were studying woodpeckers. So a, a group of people from Q30 Innovations were studying woodpeckers and bighorn sheep. So these animals can withstand lots and lots of blows to the head and their brains don't slosh about. So what they've done is they've investigated why that happens and they've turned it into um, a a collar uh, that will actually... And they're not saying that the collar will prevent the sloshing, but they're saying that the collar will inform um, the next design of, of... protective gear for athletes, soldiers has, you know, has multiple number of users mm. to stop that, that the brain bouncing around in the human skull, which is mm. quite incredible for some athletes, I would imagine. What would be incredible, I think, is to uh, look at some of these innovations and actually look at the, uh, the process that they went through to come up with the innovation. That's true. And, you know, what, Julian, sometimes all people do is they have an experience and they yeah. go... I'm going to solve that problem. You know, we've spoken about Jennifer Holland and throat scope. Yes. She was at the doctors with her hands, you know, um, trying to have her 18-month-old child not move while the doctor shoved a tongue depressor and a light down the throat and yeah. went, there's got to be a better way. So, so many times it is just a result of noticing something that shouldn't be happening or thinking to yourself, there's got to be an easier way and actually going and doing something about it. I wonder whether they go through that process that Edison went through. Was it a hundred and a thousand and whatever light bulbs before one worked? Um, um, definitely, absolutely. <laughs> because there's a, the young guy, Jack Andresia, that we spoke about too. Yeah. He was the one who's developed the, the test, the very cheap and, and easy test for pancreatic cancer. And he said he wrote to 100 professors and it was the 99th professor literally that responded to him and said, I'll meet with you. Everybody else went, no, 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 no. Yeah. So definitely so many. And that's, you know, that's the other thing about 
it's not so much that people have luck in these things, it's that they create the right number of opportunities so that eventually one of those opportunities comes off. And, of course, I think perseverance. Uh, you know, you just said it, he wrote to 99 and the, the story of KFC and uh, how many was it, 1,009 restaurants before? Definitely. You, so it's Definitely. keeping on doing things and not being uh, persuaded by what, what, what people say they can't do. Yep, resilience. In fact, M- Melissa Eddie Veen, when I said to her, why did you do Bondi Chai? And she said, I knew it would work. I just knew it. Yeah. And no one was going to stop her. You know, it's that determination, resilience, absolute belief. Okay, well, thank you very much again, Christina. We'll have a chat with you again next week. Look forward to it, Julie, and have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Got time for a couple of our Harvard Business Review tips. And this first one says, turn conference introductions into ongoing connections. After your next conference, social media tools can help you follow up with people you really want to make part of your professional network. Try these strategies. Install a business card processing app on your smartphone that can scan cards with a camera and convert them to contact information. If you meet someone and hit it off, connect right away. Send your uh, pal a tweet from your smartphone right there and then. Thirdly, at the end of each trip, make a keeper pile of business cards for people you want to stay in touch with and then use your business card app to capture them. Fourthly, use your business card app's social networking function to send each person a LinkedIn connection invitation. And then finally, send your keepers a personal email saying how much you enjoyed meeting them and suggesting when and how you'll follow up. Taken for an article what do we all? What do we do with all our business cards from your last conference? And last week I did speak about Hoover, which was an app on your um, mobile device, and I actually used it at a conference last weekend. Very, very useful. It is a great way of uh, meeting people that you want to meet and uh, getting hold of their uh, contact information and doing just what that particular article said. Well, how about this one? Stop guessing your uh, stop second guessing your decisions. Do you find yourself revisiting every decision you make, agonizing over whether it really was right one? While everyone has doubts, second guessing yourself too often can affect your leadership and the perception of your leadership among other people. If you aren't initially feeling confident about a chosen path, don't discount where your intuition has led you. Try keeping a journal of recent decisions. Hopefully you'll find out that your intuition has led you in the right direction over time and that even when you made mistakes, they were easily corrected. Another powerful way to stop questioning a decision in the moment is to make a plan to formally review it at a later date. It could be in a few weeks or a few months. Whatever feels appropriate, add a reminder to your calendar and follow through. So there's a couple of little... uh, Ideas there from the Harvard Business Review. Thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, the importance of exit interviews. Uh, When a person's leaving, they can give you some valuable advice to help streamline your business and also what's happening with some new innovations. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll enter the world of law with John Woodward. Have a minute on innovation with Christina Sikiatis and some other business legal news that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for business, the law and you at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week. And as Lao Su once said, 
to see things in the seed, that is genius.